0: You one day will be the moral voice for that community. Another day you'll be talking about why we need to buy strawberries. You'll be the evangelist regionally. Locally, you are the watcher. And that's kind of the functionality
1: of of you in that type of landscape. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. On the previous episode of Level Paths, we met Tom Cheney, the executive director of The Church Revitalizer magazine. One of Tom's favorite topics, and one that he is an expert in, is church revitalization in rural America. His conversation with Rex Howe and Matt Shamlin was full of such great content, it wouldn't fit in one podcast. So we're continuing the conversation with Tom Cheney, and we're picking back up with the idea of Remainers and Returners as it pertains to rural America. The Remainers are the ones who have stayed in their hometowns. The Returners are those who have moved away, but later in life, decided it was time to go back to their roots. Here's Rex.
2: So with these Remainers and Returners that we've talked about, we've got the creation of probably new realities in the 21st century rural church, and you speak about these new realities in your book. So would you share some of your beliefs regarding these new realities? Why I put this in the
0: book was I had probably eight or nine books on my shelf at home that are rural books, either church planning or rural pastoring or rural revitalization books. And they're all negative about rural. And it just one day really got me that, why are you even writing a book if you don't have anything to say positive about rural America? There are pastors, godly men, and their families that make a choice to go to the heartlands and serve every day. They're the courageous crusaders. And so I talk about some new realities and I'm always changing the number. It started with 20. I think now I'm about 18. I never can remember. But here's what I know. Most rural communities are plateaued or in decline. But that does not mean that your church has to be plateaued or in decline. I'm thinking of a friend of mine over in Texas. He's a rural pastor and yet their church is humming and going and and he loves the area, his family loves the area. You know, the community has lost some what I call financial infrastructure and the community has plateaued or maybe even in a uh, modeling decline. They've lost some of their farming community and yet there's still people that have remained in that community that need to be ministered to. So, one of the new realities is your community may be plateauing, but it does not mean your church has to be, you know, declining. You know, I'm asked by royal churches all the time, what will happen if they don't make changes? Now, I will tell you that revitalization means that you must embrace change. One of the books I wrote, Church Revitalizer is Change Agent, I basically built a case in that book is. If you aren't open to change, don't go into revitalization because you got to come in and fix something. You got to bring about change in life from something that's kind of been stuck for a while. And uh, what happens if you you don't make changes? You got to bring along those that live there. You got to gather all the occupants in town. You got to be the pastor for everybody, not just for a few. And you got to be the spark. You got to almost be like the pie Piper in that area. And I don't mean getting out there with a, a flute, but people need to know you as one who cares. One of the other realities is that a lot of rural areas used to be a number one place for agriculture. Well, you know, now big business has bought so many farms and the small farmers is really being challenged that a lot of large farming, they hire few and fewer farmers to work the land It's all done by machines and all that. So one of the realities is if you're in that type of community as a pastor, you got to look for other avenues and venues to offer your people. And I've seen a lot of those over the years and I'll share some. You got to develop what I call a new rural set of enterprises. I never thought when I was in a rural area, I would be thinking of this type of stuff. But I learned that I needed to help the mom and pop type businesses that were growing. And they were replacing the farmer who was being pushed out and they were looking at you know, doing online businesses. People are still in rural areas and there's still people who need the Lord around the church. And even early in the book of Genesis, God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so he made Eve. And you know, I think that was the first planning of the rural church by the way, but that's another story. You know, Compassion Ministries, the watcher on the wall as the rural pastor will need to embrace rural areas, you know. And during my sabbatical in one of the places, it was in Kentucky, but one pastor wrote a series of letters, a hundred letters, a hundred miles within a hundred mile radius of his community. And he asked them if they would assist in helping with clothing and different things. You know, they needed jackets for the children in the winter and youth and adults and five churches out of those hundred letters jumped on and started doing that. And all of a sudden, they started telling their other pastor friends about how they were helping in this area. And others, they got to a point where they would come in and do summer camps in that area for those children. And it all became because one pastor in the middle of snow said, I have nothing to do today. I'm going to compose a letter that I can send to larger churches within a 100 miles of my area. And they began to minister and help that church. They went from a summer program, they also had a winter during like Christmas and Thanksgiving time, because that became kind of a food thing. Another one is that we saw that uh, enroll is bivocationalism is the new norm. Not many churches in the bivocational landscape can afford a full-time pastor and most of the staff are that area. And most of those smaller churches develop ways to have additional funding streams above and beyond tithes and offerings some had gyms and so they rent their gym out to the community recreation department others have daycare programs that help working families but also bring in revenue one church sold candles. i really like that every year my favorite one because i'm a classic car buff but one rural church in georgia they hosted a classic car show that drew people you know car clubs from all over every car paid five dollars not a lot of money so it was easy to do they used that for a project in, in their church in another area in very very north georgia they asked all the high schools in their area to come in and do a battle of the bands on their baseball field behind their church and the bands didn't pay anything but people came paid like a love offering and they used that money for ladies ministries to meet the needs here's another reality though young children and middle school youth are your vital niche. It's granted that a lot of your people are gonna move away, the high school students and go to college, and not many of them are gonna come back. So why not minister to the children that are there And the youth that are there, and we used to do things that on Friday night when moms and dads are going to the older kids' football games, we would be a safe place for them to drop their kids off to, and and we would play games, and we would preach Jesus, and it was a great avenue that the whole community knew that that was a place where they could bring their kids. Uh, New rules, new rules, will be returning or retiring as they close out their work careers. Here's the different church in today's rural landscape. New roles who come in, may I tell you, with money, they have money to spend. So they're going to desire a church that does things, a church that has a van, a church that has a bus, and once a month, they'll meet at the church and go somewhere out for lunch and things like that. You will be amazed how that will draw the new roles that are returning. Game nine at those type of churches, men's basketball early morning basketball leagues, craft classes in those type of churches. And the churches that really, it was happening in the rural landscape, they just became a meeting place, an opportunity. And the church in West Virginia, what I did was we had an artist there in the community. She was trained in Bob Ross painting and she couldn't find a place. And I met her and I said, well, why don't you use our fellowship halls on Fridays and Saturdays once a month? And so we let her have that for free and people came in and they paid her to be part of her class. Um, I said earlier, you will serve as a pastor. You will serve as a shepherd, a a moral compass leader, a, a lighthouse, the evangelist, the watcher, the prophet for the community. You one day will be the moral voice for that community. Another day you'll be talking about why we need to buy strawberries. You'll be the evangelist regionally. You'll be the evangelist locally you are the watcher and that's kind of the functionality of of you in that type of landscape you will embrace family networks you will go to graduation parties you will go to cover dish dinners and have a wonderful time and and if that's too much of a bother for you don't be a pastor in the rural area you will allow your facilities to be used by anybody and everybody as long as it upholds the cause for christ there's
3: so many facets that you've dealt with and, and really some very interesting perspectives on how to move ministry forward in Appalachia.
0: Let me just say one thing, and I wanted to say more earlier, but I didn't. But, you know, I talked about the high school graduates that move away, never return. Make sure you minister to those who stay. As a church revitalizer, it's important that you minister to those who stay, And begin to incorporate them into the leadership fabric of the church. They love their church. They love their community. I can remember just many faces that this was their home. This was their roots. And they were young entrepreneurial type of people. And one of the places I visited, it was a church that uh, was like the county seat, young, you know, rural area. But they only used a portion of their facilities. And so the pastor got it approved that they could use a portion of the fellowship hall, which were classrooms, to let young entrepreneurs have a place to office and work out of And so they put phones in there. They put a copy machine in there. They had internet in there. And then these young, adventurous type of people would show up and make that their work area. And I remember talking to one young lady that was there. I said, so what has it done for you? Well, it's given me a locale besides my home to get up, get dressed and go to work and do all the things I need to do. I said, what has it done for the church? And she said, it has become the place where the young millennials know this is the place to be. So I would just say, embrace those entrepreneurs the best you
2: can. I did a survey at the church in Lisbon and we talked about this all the time. We did a survey on barriers to change. And the number one item that the members selected for why we struggle to change was that we work really hard to maintain the status quo. And so, As we talk about the idea of the church being sort of a hub of community activity within and under the umbrella of being those who are involved in the Great Commission, there's a passage of scripture that I use in our church that maybe helped people understand that a bit. And it comes at the end of Acts chapter five. It says, the apostles were every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And what I try to teach our people is that, look, your home is a mission station, and wherever we meet, we need to be focused on cultural centers. Cultural centers are where the apostles went to share and teach about Jesus. And so if you own real estate, be a cultural center, be a hub in the community where people gather and the gospel of Jesus can be preached. And that sort of opened up a little bit, and we ended up hosting a basketball league and things like that.
0: See, and I like the idea, Rex, when you talk about that, because You don't want to be status quo, and a lot of people will push toward that, but have you ever been in a place where uh, a rural church complains because a young church planner came in, and now all of a sudden, everybody in the community is going there, and I usually talk to these churches, you had that exact same opportunity, if not even better, but you chose to just hunker down in maintenance and status quo. I always tell you could do the exact same thing and you better do it sooner than some young church planter with a coffee cup and a T-shirt rolls in there and he grabs all of your young people. And then all you're left with is a bunch of senior citizens because you were unwilling to embrace some of the things that the younger groups need. And, you know, you got to get out of that survival mentality And, you know, the goal is reaching everybody and being salt and light and being that, I I would use this term, Rex, mission outpost for that community. It's incredible when you go to a church, there's
3: always, especially in the candidating process, you hear this church has a lot of potential and it's very common for that search committee to say, we want to change. We want to be able to reach our community. And then when you get there, you find out that there's a reason that that potential has not been capitalized on. Mm -hmm. And by change, they want other people to change in order to come to them. And as you said, there is developed there a survival mentality, a survival mentality among the pastor. He came there with different expectations than they had and a survival mentality among the church. We just want to continue to exist. Would you share a little bit about
0: these realities? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of churches who said exactly almost the quote you just said, they said they wanted to change because they knew that's what it was going to take to get you to go there. But when you got there, they meant on their terms. And that's part of the thing of knowing the peacekeeping methodology and being able to learn the family trees and all that. But if the churches. Just they're in a survival mentality. They don't want to rock the boat. And what will happen is over the decades, they'll just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller, eventually to the point where one pastor will be allowed to do some things because the people realize they waited too long. So you got to always remind membership in a rural church that survival is not enough. Every rural community needs a local rural church. And you need to be the lighthouse. And it's critical that you work on becoming God's servant to the whole community. You watch what the Lord can do through that church and into the lives. And, you know, you've got to really remind them as the spiritual leader of that rural church, that the church there is the ever-present hope, you know, using that from scripture for the community.
1: There's a two-word phrase called lip service. It's when you say one thing but mean another. And it unfortunately happens all too often when a new pastor arrives at a new church. He was told that the church was ready for change, but it was the wrong kind of change or no change at all. When we come back, Tom gives us more detail about how churches deal with change. Coming up on March 24th, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, the Appalachian Ministry Conference, fulfilling your ministry in a post-COVID Appalachia. The keynote speaker is Dr. Tom Cheney, author of Church Revitalization in Rural America. This first ever Appalachian ministry conference will focus on engaging Christian ministry in Appalachia for God's glory in a world impacted by COVID-19. The day starts at 9 a.m. and includes breakout sessions, lunch, Q and A sessions, Appalachian storytelling, and of course you'll hear from keynote speaker, Dr. Tom Cheney. Rex Howe from Tri-State Bible College and Matt Shamlin from the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Again, the Appalachian Ministry Conference is March 24, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio. To register, visit tsbc.edu and click on Apply Now or call 740-377-2520.
0: can't just sit around waiting for extinction. That's not the goal of the church that Jesus died for. It's not the goal of the rural pastor. It's a huge calling. It just takes every day relying on the Lord, calling on the Lord. And I always say it this way, there's no magic pill for revitalizing your rural church. I think if there was one, the closest I could say was one was prayer, but that's just the beginning of revitalization. I went to a church that had
3: suffered a split. It was a rural church, but it was in an urban area. That almost sounds contradictory. And and rebuilding that was a really arduous process. And it was incredible as that was really bathed in prayer. We would make changes in order to move that church forward. God would bless that with baptisms. Mm-hmm. And so it was amazing that in the revitalization process, We have to remember that that same promise that Jesus gave for the Great Commission, I'll be with you always, Always. even to the end of the age, that even includes the hills of Appalachia or the heartland of America. He will be with you always, even into Appalachia, even into the heartland, even into that rural church in an urban setting. He'll be with you always. Tom, what are some of the lessons in dealing with advancement in the rural church?
0: You know, some of the lessons I've learned and we've been learning in really continuing working in the rural field in revitalization is rural churches, regardless of their opinion about change, must change. If they're not open to change, even small changes, and I'm not talking like cataclysmic change, I'm talking about some change, but if they're not even open to small changes, it will defeat them. A lot of times it's because of comfort. It's because they got kind of passive and stable in what they do. And those terms, comfort and stability, can be bad news for a rural church. I talk to rural churches and say you got to become comfortable with becoming uncomfortable. And because change, you can look around what could be done. What are some new opportunities? What are some new challenges that we could reach? And, you know, what's happening in the rural landscape? When you start having people that retire there that want a church that's lively, they're going to look for a place to pour their lives into and their retirement dollars into a place that's doing things. So maybe new events and things like that you had never considered before. Another one of the lessons we always say is that you got to find new avenues. You got to find new people to partner with. Sometimes that's the local government. Sometimes that's a crisis pregnancy center. You could just go on and on. One of the things that I used to do in West Virginia is I would walk down Main Street. It was right up on the top of the hill. When you looked up, you saw WVU. And I would literally walk down those streets and I knew the shop owners. I knew the bank presidents and some of their staff by name. And I began to find new avenues to reach people. And one of the things that I loved in, in one of the nine states that we ministered to, one pastor as he was learning to find new ways to reach in the rural climate, a lesson he taught me was when you came into the community, they were on the main track. And so you came in three and a half miles off the interstate and you came into this beautiful rural community and his church was part of that shot into the community. And he had this long piece of property that was right by that road, everybody came by it. So he talked to his leaders And he went to the young entrepreneurs in their community and he let them buy at their own cost what I call those little wood huts that you get at Home Depot or Lowe's. You know, you put in your backyard for storage areas. He allowed them to set up businesses along that area. They had 12 of them and they all painted them different things. had signs. Here's the thing. There was no electric, no running water. It usually was one person whose car was right in front of their place and people, when they came in, they would pull in. Some would buy knitting and some would buy, you know, crafts and collectibles and canned stuff and, and all that. And it gave those people a place. Now, when it got dark, it was time to go home. Another church in the same state, they, every Thursday night, allowed their huge parking lot to be set up as a street fair. And before long, it not only was their parking lot, but the road that went right by. And, and and it became like the th- block party on steroids run by the community, but the church benefited from. People would come from surrounding areas to come be part of that. A band would play from the church and people loved it and it became a special thing. There are so many different lessons we can learn. Rural churches try to find new avenues to reconnect with their community. And sometimes it's just providing a place for the rest of the community to do life together and use their facilities and things like that and and make an impact. I love the way you said that and in
3: facilitating the community and doing life together. When you think about all that you've said, a rural church has got to think creatively about how to engage its community in life. And then ultimately through that engagement, you're able to present the way of eternal life through Jesus Christ You know, we've really, with our podcast, we've contextualized this to Appalachia. Yep. But I know that there are people all across America now who are listening to our podcast because the principles that are contextualized in Appalachia apply in rural America. And so what would be the final word that you would give to rural pastors and a a rural church revitalizer in
0: those rural places in America? I would first say that it will probably be the most challenging ministry assignment you will ever face and yet stay at your post i would say your initial friends in a rural church will often become your biggest enemies due to your calling to revitalize a dying church and they may have embraced the status quo and they look at you as a threat when you all of a sudden start bringing people from their community that they've never even seen or never even understood or maybe never even were like them and they were a, a country club type world church. So that will be a challenge and it's hard on you sometimes to see those people that you just love them turn their back on you. Some of those who take flight will talk about you in your community. So you got to be tough skinned. you got to have dogged determination. I would say that Rural pastors must have a strong family, a strong marriage if they're going to survive. Sometimes you'll feel like you're loved by everybody and the next day like you're the sacrificial lamb. You know, there's a sense of closeness in rural churches and as the under shepherd, you must embrace that. It's different, as I said, than an urban pastor. You got to be the vocal expression for the cause of rural town and rural community. One day you're fighting against a drug epidemic in your area and speaking against it. You know, your next day you're rallying the community not to lose your gas station or your supermarket. Next month you might need to be the local voice against the consolidation of schools. One must stand against the government regulation of fertilizers and pesticides and make it impossible for the farmers that remain to grow strawberries. It never stops. You know, you got to be one of the most creative pastors on the face of the earth, and embrace your roles and your new roles, Uh, new roles, as I said before. And you're in a changing landscape. Rural is not just in the south anymore, or the north central states anymore. Rural is all around, and rural churches still exist in hamlets in New England, and rural churches are near sporting events and small colleges, and and rural churches are near military bases, and they're just all over. And one of the things that, if I can say, a parting, get this. So get this. Most rural pastors that are successful, they expand their ministry focus from six miles to 30 miles. Six miles isn't much in rural, but 30 miles is big. But when you come from those retirees that return to their rural roots, 30 miles means nothing. They, for 20, 30, 40 years of their life, drove 30 miles to and from work every day. I'd like to share, if I can, three things as my closing thoughts that I found from the rural landscape. The three profound types of churches we discovered in the rural landscape was The first one was the benign church. And the benign churches were 118 out of the 350 rural churches that we surveyed. And the benign churches are the churches that have primarily a maintenance mindset that is displayed by little effort and very low expectation, the just show up church. The next group we discovered were what we called the bewildered churches in the rural landscape. And they were so frustrated that they are all but ready to jump off the proverbial bridge. We found that 117 of the 350 churches interviewed and surveyed, they were not only doing nothing, they had no desire to seek renewal. They weren't really looking for a church revitalizer. They are the ones who the mantra is the last one alive, just turned the lights on. And that was the second group. So you had the benign and you had the bewildered. What really brought great encouragement to me, though, and you know the numbers are pretty close, a third, 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 third. The third type of rural church that our research really revealed was what we called the bolt. 115, so 32.86 percent of the 350 churches surveyed and interviewed, these were the ones who, among the rural landscape, who had leaders who operated as the community watcher, as the community chaplain for the entire region, not just a few church members. And they were the healthiest of all three types. They had a forward focus and were willing to try almost anything for their tiny population. One pastor, they had kids game night and they gave out little cards every Friday night was just game nights in the fellowship hall and kids, cause there wasn't a lot to do. They showed up and had game night. and, you know, they were the healthiest and they were led by a leader who had a strong voice for righteousness in their community. They were not only participants in the community with community leaders, but many of the community leaders found that as a fresh place to go to church. And they partnered in projects. If a community was having a event and they need volunteers, the pastor would rally their people. One of the things I did in one of my churches is I looked at what was really going on there. It was a hot air balloon festival, but no one wanted to clean up after event. So in one of the churches, we just basically put on shirts and said, picking up trash for Jesus. What happened as a result of that was The next year the community said, We'll give you a booth. You can have do whatever you want there. We'd still like for you to pick up our trash. And we said we would. And those type of leaders in bold churches, they were looking for a way to connect that most others weren't. They sought ways to think outside of the box, not only for the betterment of the church, but the betterment of the community. And they just emphasize newness over, you know, deadness. So listen to me, Pastor. If you are a role pastor. You know, you need to become known in your community. You need to make a difference in your community. I want to thank you for what you do, for your openness to serve. And it's a challenging assignment. I've said that, you know, we're living in a day when so many in denominational life of all denominations, they have turned their back away from rural America and small-town America, and all they care about is urban centers, and I believe their short-sightedness will cause eventual challenge for their denomination, but our Lord loves the rural pastor. Our Lord loves the rural community. He loves the rural church, just like he does the big ones, so hold on, hold on, rural church revitalizer. Jesus is coming, and he'll find you faithful right where you serve. Well, Tom, my heart is as yours for the
3: rural church. In our own denomination, the denomination that you and I both belong to, we are seeing a greater emphasis on urban centers. And of course, we see a great need for that as well. But even in Appalachia, there are 23 million people. And Appalachia is becoming increasingly more and more dark. And Mm -hmm. that's why things like the Appalachian Ministry Institute matter. That's why the Church Revitalizer Magazine matters. That's why this ministry that you're doing and the one that we're doing are just natural, natural partners uh, because of that heart and that, that work. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. It has been an incredible joy. Thank you for your heart for revitalizing churches and especially in revitalizing churches in rural America.
1: Becoming Known in Your Community. It doesn't mean that a pastor needs to develop a celebrity status of some sort, but it does mean that when something is happening in the area where your church has influence, the pastor and his staff should be involved. This podcast is the second in a two-part series on church revitalization in Appalachia. If you didn't hear the first episode, be sure to go back and check it out. And to learn more about Tom Cheney, go to renovateresources.com. And as always, you can reach out to Rex Howe at Tri-State Bible College by emailing him at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. Or you can contact Matt Shamlin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by sending him an email at matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. On the next Level Paths podcast, a gut-level look at what happens when God calls you to preach in Appalachia. I had to surrender my job. I had to surrender my new home. And the last thing I had to surrender was my money. And God was whooping me and slapping my hind end all over
3: the place saying, I got to have all of you. So as I was fleshing this out, it wasn't a seminary
1: course. It was on the school of hard knocks. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.